0: It's rivalry week in the Commonwealth, Virginia is hot, Virginia Tech and and Hendon Hooker are cold, and Justin Fuente's seat, it's on fire. It's also ACC Big Ten Challenge Week on the basketball hardwood. All that and Aaron McFarlane's puppy chow this week on Teal and Barber. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Teal & Barber, the Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year, and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you?
1: Good morning, Mike. I'm well and hope you're doing the same.
0: I am. Thank you. And, and I thought, David, you had a really good take in, in a column you wrote this week. Uh, basically, a, the idea of celebrating what we got from college football to this point. And uh, no, it hasn't been perfect, but it, it's been enjoyable. And it's been not normal, but it's been something. And, and um, I thought that was a really good point. David, what have you taken from or gotten out of this college football season so far?
1: Well, Mike, this is what we asked for, right? <laughs> I mean, most of us who love College athletics, we craved a football season in 2020. I mean, some semblance thereof. We knew it was going to be weird and bizarre and interrupted and lack the pageantry that we're accustomed to. But, you know, to, to think that by the end of the regular season, the ACC could have played 87 of its 90 <laughs> scheduled games. To, to me is it's darn near heroic to, to, to think that that everyone was able to come together and pull this off. And I mean, everyone from the equipment managers, to the trainers, to the maintenance folks, and especially the, the, the players and
0: coaches. Yeah. I don't, I don't think people fully appreciate it. And maybe we have a better vantage point because of our jobs. Um, what the players have, have really sacrificed to get this done. And um, it really is remarkable. And and I appreciate it because if you remember, you know, before it all got rolling and we were talking about what was going to happen, what might work, what might not work. And there was this very vocal let us play movement, right? In college football. and And kids said, we'll do what we have to do. Let us play. And I said this months ago, and I still feel this way. And I was kind of reminded when I read your column, it almost felt like we, and when I say we, that just the the country, the the body of college sports, NCAA, everything, it's almost like we were daring them. Like, okay, give it a shot. Let's see what you can do. And, and here we are in December. And damn, they, they did it. Yeah. No,
1: they, they absolutely did. And you know, there could be hiccups ahead. We don't know. I mean, heaven forbid, but you know, conference championship weekend could, you know, so, some team ha- have an outbreak and some conference. And then you've got the college football playoff and whatever remains of, of the bowl season. And we'll, we'll, we'll get it, delve more into that later, but uh, th- there's still a, a lot of unknowns out there. And, and as we see on a daily basis with basketball. So we're we're certainly not out of the woods with the coronavirus, and probably won't be for quite some time.
0: Yeah, we're we're not finished. We're not to the finish line. I think we both feel like we got more from this year than we expected. What's uh, if you had a favorite moment to date from uh, UVA, Virginia Tech, some somewhere you've covered, something you've watched, been a part of? Uh, what's been your favorite moment of this uh, admittedly unusual season?
1: <laughs> Just. I guess I would go back to the first time I set foot on a college campus for a football game. And my first game of the year was at Virginia Tech. and it was I'm almost certain was it was the NC State game. And, you know, you, you drive up, you're used to traffic and, you know, you, you pull in a lot and, and nobody there. And I, I just remember, and I don't know if this is a favorite moment, but it was just a reminder of, of what the year was going to be like. I'm walking up the sidewalk toward the stadium and they're all by his lonesome, is the Frank Beamer statue. And, and I'm like, this just isn't right. I mean, on game day, everybody's flocking around Frank's statue, right? Taking selfies and putting the kids up there and taking their picture and posting it on Instagram or Twitter, whatever your favorite social media outlet is. And it was poor old Frank. He was there all by himself. <laughs>
0: Well said. and You know, it's funny that that that's the the thing that jumps to mind for you because when I was thinking about that question, the thing that jumped to mind for me was my first game at UVA on the other end. Um, It was afterward when I walked out of the stadium kind of by myself and the parking lot was empty, (laughs) kind of like it usually is. Now I had a shorter walk to my car, but that was like that first moment where I felt like, okay, this is how my Saturday nights end. I I walk alone to my car and I think about the game I just wrote about and uh, what I'm going to write to follow. And um, do I have the discipline to come home and not eat a whole bag of chips or or snacks (laughs) uh, because it's been a long day? And, uh, So, yeah, that's kind of one of the things that stood out to me as well was just that first time being back and and getting to it. Well, speaking of getting to it, let's get to it, David, and and let's start with the Hokies who, not surprisingly, right, got drilled by Clemson on Saturday night. It, in the end, it was not close. It wasn't that competitive. Uh, the game wasn't without drama, though. In the first half, at least, uh, Tech did some things to stay in it, and uh, like many things in 2020, it wasn't without oddities. We we saw the sprinklers go off in the middle of the game <laughs> uh, um, You know, on an already cold night. I'm sure everyone loved that, although Dax Hollyfield sure seemed to enjoy kind of playing in it the way my daughter does with our front yard sprinkler, But maybe the the most memorable, um, in a bizarre way, part of Saturday night was Hennon Hooker's situation, his Mm -hmm. apparent battle with the cold. And he bobbled a clean snap on that first drive. Justin Fuente felt like he had some issues getting the team out of the huddle on the schedule they wanted. They wanted to use a lot of clock, and they benched him. Braxton Burmeister comes in. He gets hurt in the third quarter. Tech goes back to Hooker, but by that point, he was shivering he was cold he was kind of a, a shell of himself and um the tv broadcast showed him shaking and, and kind of lurching on the sideline and um ends up fumbling they have to pull him out and after the game and again on monday justin fuente said hooker was simply too cold to play I mean, he was obviously
1: having some issues with his temperature um he was fine yesterday fine there after the game so um i don't know i've never seen that i don't know that our medical staff has Seen an issue like that, we'll try and do everything we can to,
0: to take care of him moving forward. Obviously, I would anticipate this Saturday night will be chilly. David, he hadn't seen it. The medical people hadn't seen it. Have you ever seen anything like that? Other than myself shivering <laughs> in the cold, because
1: as my wife will tell you, I am notoriously cold all the time. But Mike, you know, not to get too inside baseball here, I was at the UVA Boston College game. So I'm not paying a lot of attention. I'm writing after the game and I'm looking up at the TV and I see Burmeister in there. I'm like, what's going on? So I text you, because because you're in Blacksburg. I just said, is Hooker hurt? And your one response was no. I'm like, okay, I wonder what this is about. So then I'm, I'm, I'm driving home and listening to the game on the radio. And in post game, I'm I'm listening to Mike Burnup's chat with Justin Fuente, and that's when, you know, Fuente essentially repeated to to Mike what what he had told you guys on the Zoom about Hooker being too cold. So you know, I'm just like, okay, this really is strange. And then I came home, and my curiosity was piqued, and fired up the DVR. And it, I think the word I used with, with you, it was creepy. Yeah. To 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 watch, and I mean, you, you, obviously, you, you you were concerned for his safety, and clearly the tech people were, because they took him back inside at least for a while, and then you know our colleague and friend Mike niselik from the Roanoke Times, he talked to Hendon's dad on Sunday, and Hendon's dad relayed a story that when he was the quarterback at North Carolina A and T back in the day, he had a similar experience mm-hmm. with the Cole, which is yeah you know, we even even crazier and he he told mike that he anticipates that Hendon will be fine moving forward so we'll see i mean my suspicion is that come saturday night in Blacksburg if he's healthy, because as you mentioned, he got hurt on a sack. I think Braxton Burmeister is Virginia Tech's starting quarterback.
0: Yeah, David, if you remember, and and I'm sure you do, more to remind everybody, that at the start of the year, the declaration from Justin Fonte was they were going to play both guys, that Mm -hmm. that Hendon was the starter, but Braxton had uh, practiced and, and performed at a level that they had that much confidence and they were going to use both guys. And you know when he pulled Hendon out against clemson after one series he said the thinking was sit him down for a series let him settle down let him compose himself um maybe get those snap issues behind him uh and then burmeister went out and let him do a touchdown Touchdown, drive and all of a sudden yeah all of a sudden it's let's play the hot hand and Mm -hmm. that's what i'm anticipating is i think both kids get a shot uh saturday against uva but i think this is going to be a clear ride the hot hand situation.
1: Well, and very similar to Virginia Tech's game in, in North Carolina back er, early in the season when Burmeister started, they they went to Hooker. He got hot, and then he, he stayed,
0: Yeah. And, and, and it makes sense. Right. And especially in a game like this, where um, you know, coaches can say what they want, but emotion and and momentum, I I think they play bigger roles in rivalry games. I don't think it all goes out the window when you kick off. I I think there is that extra juice and um, for better or worse now, the good news, if you're tech, the forecast has updated, it's going to be a little warmer. Uh, the ACC didn't do them a favor with another night game, but right. it's supposed to be a little warmer in Blacksburg. So uh, hopefully that keeps Hendon Hooker at least a little more available.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, you, you want both teams to be as close to full strength. We obviously know that Virginia won't have Charles Snowden, but you, you want everybody to, to, to be at full strength so you see the best possible competition.
0: Now, David, the, the game itself against Clemson, uh, we won't go back too much, but I did want to talk about they had a strategy in the first half that, that kind of worked, right? They played keep away. <laughs> um, they, they held on to the football uh, for, for nearly 20, I think, of the first 30 minutes. They trailed just 17-10 at the break. And, and David, they, they might have been even closer, if not yeah. for some really conservative play calling. Um, I want to go through that segment at the end there, 55 seconds to go. And, and Tech has three timeouts. And Justin Fuente opts to to be conservative and, and to run out the clock. And then Khalil Herbert hits kind of a big run, puts them more in striking distance. They take a shot to the end zone that comes up a yard short. Uh, but David, just strategically, understanding that their whole game plan going in had been be conservative, play it safe. Let's drag this game into the fourth quarter. Do you understand the decision there before halftime?
1: I understand it, but I disagree with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> is, that, is that too counterintuitive? I I, I don't know. I, I I get where Fuente was, was coming from. And, you know, he doubled down after the game and said he'd do it again. But you know this is the second time this season obviously the the first example being liberty where you you wonder about clock management and you know with three timeouts in in, in your pocket and you're down 7 yeah I man I, and you've got decent field position mm-hmm. I I think you take a, a a crack there and then after Herbert breaks what was it a 20 21 yard run yep. something in, in in that range and gets out of bounds, then all of a sudden there's two seconds left, hey, let's take a Hail Mary. And then it's almost like the fates were just toying with the Hokies and Fuente to say, see what you could have done? Because on the ricochet, it bounces back to Blackshear on the uh, the Hail Mary. But the Clemson DB is right there, and Blackshear can't lunge the ball over the goal
0: line. Yeah, and, and you know what's interesting, and I don't know if this makes it right or wrong, because I, I have the same feeling you do, that I completely understand Justin Fonte's thinking, but I would have done it differently. I, I think you're yeah. the underdog. You're at home. The season's not going the way you want. Take a shot. Make something happen. You, you can't be that passive in that moment. But that being said, and this will sort of almost refute what I just said, if your decision is to run out the clock um, – I almost take the knees there and, mm. and make them use their timeouts because you don't want the 21 yard run from Khalil Herbert to yeah. put you in the position where people realize, um, you know, fans wouldn't have liked it, but the, the stadium wasn't full. You're not going to get showered with booze and, uh, <laughs> You know, it's just, I know it almost sounds like the opposite of my argument, but I would have been even more conservative and not given people um, something to talk about. Now, in the second half, David, it was, I thought, the game we expected to see. Um, Clemson talent was too much, and Virginia Tech wasn't able to hold the ball. The defense didn't hold up as well, um, playing more time in the second half. Anything surprise you in the second half, or was that kind of the game you, you kind of expected to recap?
1: Well, you know, Mike, it was Diablo, right, who had the pick in the end zone? Yes there to, to start the second half. And I thought, wait a second now, you know, m- might this get interesting? And then it, it got sideways in a hurry with the injury and then the scoop and score by, by Darian Kendrick. And then, you know, it was, it was over and that's kind of what you expected. You know, I do agree with Justin Fuente that at least in my eyes and, in, in, in watching the, the the DVR copy was. I thought his team played hard, and, and yeah, there were th- those three big play touchdowns, the wrencher run, the, the the long pass play that Trevor Lawrence had in the scoop and score. But you know, I I thought they played as hard as they could against one of the top three teams in the country. That, you know, clearly they're not as good as
0: it's not a popular take right now to say nice things about Justin Fonte, but in his tenure, this is a team that does not quit on him. This is a team no. that plays. I mean, think about the year they had to play the tacked on game right against Marshall. They had to beat Virginia, play a tacked on game against Marshall just to keep the bowl streak going. I mean, it was the ultimate just pack it in senioritis. Let's go home and be done with this. And they played hard and their tails off in, all of those games. And um, so it, you know, you can say what you want about a lot of the things that are going on in the program, and I wrote about the trend since he had them in that ACC title game in 2016, and things have gone the wrong direction. That There's no deny on that, but um, at least in that locker room, these kids are still playing hard for Justin Fuente.
1: Oh, I mean, the Marshall game that season, that was their best performance, because <laughs> that was a good Marshall team. I, I believe that, that group won eight or nine games, and... And Tech crushed them. And and Marshall had everything to play for. Because just imagine Marshall's motivation that day. The only reason they scheduled us is because they think they can get bowl eligible by beating us. You know, let's show them. You know that they were wired for sound. But... You know, Ryan Willis and company, they just rocked to them that day. So, yeah, I, I agree with you that they, they have never quit on him.
0: Now, meanwhile, their opponents this week rival Virginia. They won a, a shootout against Boston College. You were there for that one. David, it's its not often you see a team give up over 500 passing yards to a backup quarterback and still win the game. So uh, what did you see? What, what unfolded? Not, not only the backup. Dude, he's a former walk-on. Yeah, great story.
1: Yeah, Dennis Grosell is a former preferred walk-on at, at at BC, and he's playing because Phil jakovic hurt his knee the the the, the week previously in, in a victory over Louisville. And this cat throws for 520 yards. He tied the school record set by Doug Flutie. Now he was pretty good football players, I recall, <laughs> as a Heisman on the shelf somewhere, and. It was just, it was crazy. But, 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 number one, Virginia made BC one-dimensional. BC threw for 520 and had 513 in total offense because they rushed for minus seven yards. That a function of Virginia's handful of sacks. And oh, by the way, UVA picked off Grossell three times. And they were huge plays, none bigger than Nick Grant and mm. you know, people including me have banged on Nick Grant a lot this season, the Virginia cornerback. And he has had some tough moments out there. But he's he is in press coverage against Zay Flowers, one of the best receivers in the league. And it's essentially a 50 50 ball in the end zone. And Zay Flowers had like eight catches for a buck 80 on Saturday. He had him a day. But on the biggest play of the game, Nick Grant goes up and wins that 50 50 ball and out fights Flowers in the end zone and comes up with a pick. And Virginia turns around and goes 80 yards for a touchdown and a 10 point lead. I thought that was a huge. Swing.
0: Yeah, that, that sequence illustrates kind of what I see from Virginia football right now. And, you know, they, they talk as a program about pillar games and the defense doesn't want to give up this and the offense is going to score this. And I think the pillars are out the window with the injuries they have on defense. And they're to the bottom line of, can you win? Can you make that one more play? It sounds cliche. Mm-hmm. Coaches say, can you end I thought that was the story of Saturday. Was I thought they made that one more play. And, um, you know, as good as Grussell was, and he got my vote for, for ACC quarterback of the week, he won, won that honor. Uh, the guy I was toying with giving my vote to that I was torn was the quarterback on the other side, Brennan Armstrong,
1: Armstrong. Yeah. who
0: I thought had a tremendous game in his own right and just keeps getting better. David, how good is Brennan Armstrong right now?
1: Well, Mike, think about the quarterbacks that have preceded him at UVA. Most recently, Bryce Perkins. Mm-hmm. And you go back, Matt Schaub, Sean Moore. Brandon Armstrong is the first quarterback in Virginia history to have back-to-back games of 400 yards in total offense. <laughs> now, granted, the first one was against Abilene Christian, but hey, those guys played against FCS opponents too. But what Armstrong has, has done recently has been off the charts. He has he is such a quirky runner, but so effective. And what makes him more effective is how Robert and I, the offensive coordinator, also deploys Keaton Thompson, who's obviously a former quarterback himself who now is just a jack of all trades hybrid. And I think because defenses know they have to keep their eyes on Thompson as well in the run game, that that creates opportunities for Armstrong. And Virginia has done, I think, an exceptional job of melding their two skill sets into one very effective package.
0: And I think that's great coaching, not just in a pandemic year, but even more so in a pandemic year, because that's not what they anticipated, right? Keaton Thompson hurt his shoulder in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Otherwise he was going to be a quarterback, a, a true quarterback. And, and that was the vision. And he was competing for the job. And um, when he got hurt, they were like, this kid's too good of a player to not use him. And this all came together in, in very short order. And, and you're right. It's added an element to this offense that um, I think has taken it to another level. Now on the other side of the ball, I thought this was going to be a great defense. I thought it was going to ride the defense all year. I thought Brendan Armstrong was going to be shaky in his first season as a starter. What I'm saying is I don't know what I'm talking about because all of that (laughs) has been the opposite, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. this defense has lost so many pieces. You mentioned Snowden, but it it just got Joey Blunt back. It's been playing without Brenton Nelson. Jawan Briggs left the program to to transfer back home to Cincinnati. Richard Burney, the defensive end, is out again. They've dealt with so much on the injury front. Noah Taylor uh, now being injured here at the end of the year. So, David, how is the defense holding it together to go out there and compete at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I I believe Bronco said on Saturday after the game that five of their top five of their starting front seven from the beginning of the year were not playing on, on Saturday. And that was because of injury transfer and COVID and, you know, Virginia, Virginia was without six players on on saturday because of virus concerns now uva does not identify who those players are but but clearly noah taylor did not play so whether he is injured or whether it was a virus situation i don't know but uh yeah i mean they've they're holding it together somehow and you know by by getting the, those turnovers we're just were just huge. And one, you know, two of them were in the red zone because another one came at the 10-yard line, after which Virginia went 90 yards yeah. for a touchdown. So to to turn two of those picks into touchdown drives, that's, that's
0: how they won the game. Yeah. Now, I don't know how much longer they're going to need to, to hold it together because Bronco Mendenhall revealed Monday that the ACC asked his program to play another game on December 19th. He declined. Didn't want to do it, uh, and he sure made it sound like his team wasn't going to be interested in playing in a bowl game uh, if they're asked either. Yeah, it's been an amazing blessing, and and we were actually asked by the ACC to play on the nineteenth, and said no um, for that very reason. Uh, I, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it added value to our program or the team we would have been playing um, in whatever schedule changes we were asked to do. I'm mindful of our program, our players, uh, and doing the very best I can for them and having Boston college at home and then Virginia tech on the road as their last two regular season games. That's, that's the appropriate finish for our team. Again, I can't speak for any others. Um, And a lot of times it's just more than inventory, right? It's more just than TV and, and sometimes coaches and administrations have to speak up um, and look after the well-being of student athletes who have been here. I think this is 23 weeks straight. Well, right after that, I was able to ask one of those, those student athletes. I asked senior safety, Joey Blunt, that, that same topic.
1: I mean, I would not mind spending Christmas with my family after the whole COVID um, pandemic is going on, not really being able to be with them the way I would like to be, as I was in the
2: past, and having people with their families not being able to come to games. There's a lot of circumstances that surround that issue, but maybe being home for the holidays is something that I'm definitely leaning more towards, uh, not taking a bowl game.
0: David, I I don't see how I could blame players for feeling that way. I don't see how I could blame a coach who – is sticking up for his players. So I'll ask you, is the Commonwealth clash going to be the last game we see for these two teams?
1: Yes, I think it will be. I don't know that for, for certain Mike, but that's my strong suspicion. And I'm like you were I in Bronco Mendenhall's position or Carla Williams. And I mean, heck everybody's bowl eligible. Were I in <laughs> Justin Fuente or, or, or Whit Babcock's shoes, you know, v- Virginia tech beat, UVA on Saturday they'd be 5 and 6 and maybe somebody would want them in a bowl but what lure is there to play in a bowl this season mike i mean you're 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 going to fly in or bus in the day before the game. There's going to be no pre-game, you know, or bowl week festivities for the players and the staffs. There's going to be no or limited fans. It's it's just another invitation for virus infection. I mean, I just I I see no Purpose in playing some of these lower tier bowls beyond the college football playoff and in New Year's Six, I you know, m- maybe some teams w- will feel different. You know, maybe a, a, a Miami, which is you know only lost to Clemson this year. Maybe if Miami beats Carolina this week, they say, you know, we we still want to keep playing. Okay, cool, H- have at it. You know, if you can find an opponent in a bowl, and then good on you, but. I would be of the mind. You know already we we talked about previously, Bronco Mendenhall asked his players. He didn't demand it, but he asked his players, please don't go home for Thanksgiving because we still have games remaining and and we don't want to risk infection. And they they went along with that. No Thanksgiving. Would I want to be home for the, the the Christmas season, you're darn right, I would.
0: Yeah, I think that's the answer. I think the answer is whatever the players want to do should yeah. be what the teams do because they've asked so much of these kids. And you know, and I don't want what I don't want to see more than anything is this presentation or, or this um, opinion that. Teams that don't feel like going to a bowl game are somehow quitting or are less competitive. That's garbage. That's garbage. These kids have done so much to get on the field. Now, there are considerations on the business side for why you're playing the games. For TV, you heard Bronco mention TV inventory. I thought uh, Shane Beamer in his introductory press conference mentioned that, hey, if you're a new coach coming in um, and the team you're taking over plays in a bowl, you can then observe those practices. And so there's some things about the football mechanism that might make sense. But to me, it all pales in comparison to you've asked your kids to sacrifice a ton. Do they want to sacrifice more for another chance to play? And some may. Some may want to do that. Um, or do do your kids want to go home? And um, if your kids want to go home, then, send them home because, because I think they've earned it.
1: Yeah. And what will be interesting, and I don't know that we'll ever know the, the, the details is what if your team is split on something yeah. like this, you know, 60, 40 or 50, 50, uh, how, you know, do the seniors decide that? I mean, it's, it's a it's a very very interesting dynamic because you could e- I think you could easily see how there there, there would not be clear and overwhelming consensus.
0: You know, we we see this with every issue in sports, right? There's there's different opinions, there's different takes, and on something this personal, um, yeah, I, I would be stunned if if any locker room was even in a hundred percent agreement. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, the senior idea, different programs do it different ways, right? Leadership councils and um, yeah. team leaders. I, I think there's going to be some of that, but. Um, yeah, I think we're on the same page that, you know, it's it's got to be up to the kids and then there's got to be um, the majority or the overwhelming sense of we want to do this or we don't want to do this. And, you know, it's interesting it, with Bronco turning down the game on the 19th, maybe if you do the math, there's some time to send the kids home, bring them back and quarantine and restart. But I don't think anybody really wants to go through that. Like, I think they want to leave campus, go home, and, and that'll be that. And um I've got no problem with that. Now, if it is, if it is the end of the season for the Who's and the Hokies, to me, for my money, that only adds more drama to Saturday night, right? That becomes their bowl game. That becomes their Mm -hmm. postseason. Uh, So what are we we thinking? What are we looking at here? And um, let's take a look at it this way. Virginia Tech wins the game Saturday night if what happens, and UVA wins the game Saturday night if what happens. David, who, who do you want to start with?
1: Well, since you mentioned Virginia Tech first, I would say Virginia Tech wins Saturday night if it can somehow, and it's really struggled with this, defend effectively against quarterback run. Mm-hmm. And that means both Armstrong and Thompson. And even Trevor Lawrence gave the, the Hokies fits mm-hmm. in in very limited run packages. But He had two rushing touchdowns. Am I right on that?
0: Yeah, and, and very similar uh, where he really rode the option for a long time and was able to see what Tech was doing and um, weren't particularly contested.
1: Yeah, so I to me, and you know obviously you go back to last season, why did Virginia beat Virginia Tech? Yeah. Bryce Perkins rushed for how many yards? Um, 160, 100, I forget how many, but he busted the two long ones early. And Virginia Tech hunkered down after that, but it was, it was too late. And, you know, he he had done the damage there and then was able to beat them um, somewhat throwing. So to me, that's Virginia Tech's defensive key. Absol- you know, you must contain Armstrong and Thompson running. Because, you know, Ar- Armstrong had his first 100-yard game Saturday a- a- against B.C., but Thompson had 86, including 43 on, on a late touchdown run. So he, he's very much a part of that equation. I
0: mean, it was 475 yards of total offense for Bryce Perkins in that game uh, a year ago. And, you know, I think we went into this thinking that, that Brennan Armstrong couldn't be that kind of a factor. And I think mm-hmm. we've been proven wrong. I, I think he can be. So uh, how about the flip side then?
1: Virginia wins if if it can somehow (laughs) defend the pass a a, a little more effectively. You know, I don't think anybody on Virginia Tech is going to throw for five bills on 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 Saturday night, but Virginia is going to need to be a little more effective, especially on deep balls. And if not, then then create turnovers. But but to me, you, you just got to be better with with the deep pass
0: that makes a lot of sense and i'll I'll just throw in not the keys but a couple wild cards virginia tech and in particular brock hoffman there have been some penalties Mm -hmm. in some big spots this season um we saw it again in this clemson game ended up uh that they benched brock hoffman after his second uh double digit yardage penalty um all signs point to him coming back to starting but uh there's a measure of discipline And, and again it goes back to what we said if this is the last game um There's going to be a lot of emotion. Uh, Virginia Tech's been through uh, a rough year. Virginia's been asked to do a lot to get to this point. There was bad blood, if you remember, when this opener was postponed. A lot of Virginia players took to Twitter. Even a Virginia coach took to Twitter to basically say, our guys were committed and and wanted to play and and you all messed it up. Um, There is more to this game than in years when there's been something on the line, right? <laughs> Titles. There's something to this game with everything these teams have been through. Uh, I think the team that can maintain its composure and discipline is going to be a key on, on both sides here.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree with you. And no question there was a little bla- bad blood after that season opening uh, postponement. But I'm I'm glad that it's at the end uh th- as the opener it was going to be just so strange and n- now that it's at, at the end of the calendar i think that's pretty cool
0: yeah it gives everybody something to look forward to and, and it also brings us to this week's who you got thank you mike it's a
1: simple question this week with the rivalry game saturday night in blacksburg who you got hokies or who's? let's start with david I'm going to ride the hot team. UVA has won, won four in a row, entering, entering the Virginia Tech game for the first time since 2011, and only the second time in the last 30 years that the Cavaliers enter this game on a four-game winning streak. Now, the first time that that happened in that stretch was 1991, and UVA won the game 38 nothing the second time it happened in 2011 UVA lost the game 38 nothing i mean that's just so weird and i don't think 38 nothing is going to be the final saturday night but but to me you ride the hot hand and that is the cavaliers
0: okay mike well they always say in in, in talk radio that uh, disagreement makes for more entertaining shows, but I I can't disagree. Um, You know, I, I look at this as two defenses that are struggling, but for different reasons. Right. Virginia has been beset by injury, trying to find guys to, to step up. Virginia Tech's just struggled with its new scheme, with, with its strategy. And um, I think Virginia is still a little better defense than Virginia Tech. I expect this to be a high scoring game. I expect it to be an emotional game. I expect it to be a lot of fun, uh, in part because I don't think either of these defenses can really slow the other offense down. Right now, it comes down to me, to Brennan Armstrong. And it's David's point about Bryce Perkins a year ago. Um I think that dynamic playmaking quarterback is the difference. And, uh, you know, for Virginia Tech, if Hendon Hooker can have that kind of a game, maybe things change. But uh, I like Brendan Armstrong. I like uh, the team that's winning. And and I think Virginia uh, starts its own streak, I guess, with two in a row.
1: Yep, be the first time since 97 and 98 that Virginia would have won two in a row and would also be Virginia's first victory in Blacksburg since 1998.
0: It's a long time and and that will not help things with the fans and Justin Fuente, but that's a topic probably for next week's show. Well, those are our predictions. <laughs> now, Vegas thinks the Hokies are favorites this weekend. Let's let's ask someone who really knows this stuff, our good friend Aaron McFarling of the Roanoke Times. As he does each week, Aaron joins us now for his segment, A Max Puppy Chow, and each week Aaron's going to give us the best bet in the ACC and an upset special from somewhere in the country and, and probably weigh in here on our locals. So before we get to the chow, Aaron, I understand you had a big win on the pro football side last night. Is Is that correct?
2: I did. I had the Washington football team, and, and it was one of those where you just see it happening. I mean, it, you, those are the ones you look for as a gambler, where you just you, you can see how the game's going to unfold. Now, I didn't think they were going to fall behind 14 to nothing, but I did think, uh, you know, the his being well-rested compared to Pittsburgh, you know, uh, Alex Smith had covered the spread in his two starts by like a combined 39 points. I mean, uh, Washington was playing, you know, very well at least uh, compared to expectations and pittsburgh had been squeaking by and so it was all set up i mean you're on five days rest i mean that's this you know it's a long season and uh, we saw kind of what the ha- happened with the hokies when they got some rest they looked a lot better um and and i think that's what caught up with pittsburgh but yeah it was a it was a very nice win and i went harder than i normally do on, the, on those kinds of bets
0: <laughs> now w- when it doesn't start great are you thinking oh my gosh why was i betting on the washington football team
2: you know, I never felt like they were out of it. You know, I always kind of felt like they, they were, and also felt like the second half would be theirs. You know, I mean, it, I think that was when the, the fatigue was going to start catching up with them. And you didn't see Pittsburgh just marching up and down the field. You know, the, the defense was playing pretty well for Washington. So it was just, I thought, a matter of time if they could just get some points. And it's kind of ironic. Uh, somebody noted on Twitter that it was interesting. I think it was Clark uh, ruling, but he said it's interesting to see a team. Uh, actually used their 55 seconds right before the half to go down and get some points, unlike (laughs) some teams that we've seen. (laughs) They did. They got a field goal out of the deal, and that that helped. I mean, that gave a little momentum.
0: So uh, you're able to win at the pro level. You've been able to win at the college level. Uh, Tell us, what upset do you love this week?
2: I don't have an upset unless we're going to talk about Virginia Tech and Virginia, which I I am going to uh, – I'm going to take the – the dog there spoiler alert, but no, my one pick my one, I only have one other pick this week and I'm tired of taking these games that get rubbed off the board. I mean, it's just, I'm tired of it. It happened again last week with our Mac game. Yeah. I'm going to take Miami and I'm going to lay the three against UNC. I've been, I mean, looking at this, I mean, starting with that U, UVA game on Halloween, right? When they, when they lost to UVA, they've covered just once in five games. I'm talking about the Tar Heels here. Uh, that's a bad trend. Um, you know, the the Canes had a breezy game last week, 48 nothing over Duke. And that was their their lone game since November 4th uh, – 14th, excuse me. So, I mean, they, they've, they've had some uh, time. You know, obviously it was COVID-related, but they've had some time to to be away. And in this season, as we're seeing freshness matter uh, a lot, um, I just think Miami's going to roll here. I mean, the home team is – in the last eight meetings between these two teams, the home team 7-1 against the spring. Okay, the Tar Heels are one and four in their last five meetings in Miami. I look I look to play the dog first. But when I see all of this, there's I'm going to just go ahead and lay the three and feel very comfortable about Miami winning this game fairly handily.
0: So it feels good about Miami in the ACC. Let's talk about that other ACC game you referenced it and kind of told us where you're where you're headed. But UVA, Virginia Tech, um, it was a subject of our who you got question today. So I'll ask you the the same. Uh, who do you like and and what's a smart play here?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm very interested. To, I mean, I'm always interested to listen to the whole podcast, but I really want to hear what you guys had to say about this too. But uh, I think I mean I was trying to find ways to to take. Virginia tech here, you know, I mean, I think there were some scars uh, over the years where I took Virginia and, and just, you know, had egg on my face year after year, after year taking Virginia in this spot. Um, and most years I did take the Hokies, but there were years where I felt pretty good about Virginia. I'm telling you, man, I don't know why you would lay the two. I don't know why. I mean, I don't think the home field matters that much. Uh, we talked about it last week. I didn't think, you know, being in Blacksburg was going to be a big deal. Um, Virginia is covered in five straight games. I mean, they're, they're, they're playing great. Uh, I think they see the, the the end. I mean, we, we had a chance to talk with uh, Blunt yesterday and he was talking about how, you know, that he'd like to spend some time with his family. I don't think they're going to go play in a bowl. I think they're going to, you know, probably decline it if they get that opportunity, this is it for them, I'm guessing. And um, I think they're going to, they're going to put it all out there. I mean, in, in years past, there's been, I think a very, um, noticeable talent gap between Virginia Tech and Virginia. I don't think that's the case this year. I mean, I think the talent is fairly even. Uh, you don't know what's going on with Hooker. I mean, they say he's fine, uh, but I was worried about that kid last week, man. I mean, I was watching him. I was just like, what is going on with this young man? And, uh, you know, if you don't if you don't have Hooker, that really – I mean, they're going to have Hooker, but I, how, how will he play? You know, how will he do? Uh, I guess it's supposed to be warmer uh, this week than it was last week. That'll help, I guess. But there's just too you know, too much unknown uh, with Virginia Tech. Uh, they just haven't been steady in any way. Virginia's been the opposite. And uh, Virginia Tech, I liked how they played in that first half, for sure. But part of that was just strategy, keep away. You know, play, keep away, ball control. They did that great. I don't think that's going to work against Virginia. I think Virginia can eat the clock just as much as uh, the Hokies can. And therefore, I'm going to take the Cavaliers here to uh, to send Virginia Tech fans into just a a a malaise. I mean, if if they're not there already, which I think a lot of
0: them already are. Yeah. You know, we've, we've said before, and I say it a lot on the podcast. I think that after disappointing losses or lopsided losses, the fans are really angry Sunday and Monday. And by Tuesday, they're starting to come around. And I don't know that this tech fan base has started to come around. And Aaron, you're right. If, if Saturday night doesn't go their way, um, this is going to be more than upset Sunday, Monday, I think uh, for that group.
2: I think it's rare to see what we saw on Saturday before the game, where if you're on Twitter, you're seeing people either actively rooting against their own team or, yeah. you know, or just so just feeling so dark about the opportunity here. That there's no chance. And, and, you know, usually by by Saturday, you know, people are like, oh, what the heck? Maybe it'll happen. You know, And they, you know, you put on your your. Your foam finger and you root, but I, I didn't get a lot of sense of that. Uh, I think they were just waiting for that other shoe to drop, and of course it dropped in the second half of twenty-eight uh, nothing Clemson run there. So I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly I think there's some things to like about what we saw last Saturday, but not enough to say that Virginia Tech's turned a corner here and they're going to win this game.
0: Makes a lot of sense, Aaron. Thanks for joining us, and go enjoy those Washington football team winnings.
2: <laughs> thanks, brother. We'll we'll talk again soon.
0: That was Aaron McFarling of the Roanoke Times and his segment, a Puppy Chow. So football's wrapping up, basketball's heating up, and aside from all the games that are being canceled due to the COVID outbreaks, um, this has been interesting so far. It's been fun to watch. David, UVA has now lost to San Francisco. It needed overtime to get rid of Kent State. Are you concerned with what you're seeing from Tony Bennett's club?
1: No. <laughs> still, <laughs> st- still too early to to be concerned, and it's... Hopefully a long season of, of in terms of games and uh, time span. I still think the, the Cavaliers will be just fine. And that doesn't mean I think they're going to beat Michigan State on Wednesday night. In fact, I, I would probably pick the, the, the Spartans to win. But I just think... Much like Bronco Mendenhall's football team, I think the longer the season goes and the, the the more entrenched and comfortable Virginia becomes on the defensive end, the better the Cavaliers will be. And I, I think they will be a national and ACC contender.
0: Yeah, you know, there are three problems that I've seen to this point with Virginia, and at least two of them, I am 100% sure will be fixed. The the defense has been a little off, right? It hasn't been postseason March form. It's it's not supposed to be at this point, but the defense has been a little off. UVA has led the nation in scoring defense six of the last seven years. The year it didn't, it ranked second in the nation. They're going to be fine on that end of the floor. The three-point punch, the outside scoring, it hasn't really been there. Well, Sam Hauser shot over 45% on threes during his Marquette career. He's going to get going. That's going to be there. The question I have about this team and the concern I do have, I haven't seen fire. I haven't seen that that on-court passion. Now, last year wasn't an overly emotional team. Mamadi Diakite in moments would get fired up, pound on his chest, or wave to the fans, but um, it wasn't a super emotionally charged team. The national championship team played with a lot of emotion with Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, some of those guys, and um, I'm interested in seeing, because the players, when I asked the other night after Kent State, they told me, you know, yeah, we need we need a little more of that fire. We need a little more of that competitive spirit in game. I'm curious where it comes from. Uh, is Kihei Clark the guy to bring that you know he's been out of the starting lineup but they went to him late in that game so is is he the guy who brings the fire and here's an interesting possibility last year when the team wasn't quote-unquote as good Tony Bennett fought for every possession He, he complained more to officials he argued more with officials he got more uh animated with players there was more of that from him because he he knew and I asked him he said This team needs every possession. Every possession is vital. If this team is missing fire and passion, maybe that's where it comes from. Maybe Tony morphs into that uh, and gives them more. Because that's the only thing, David, right now that I don't see, that I don't know where it's going to come from.
1: Mike, I'm not sure we're seeing a lot of fire from any team (laughs) right now. Just because of, I think, the difference between college basketball, non-pandemic pandemic is more stark than it is in football, just from an atmosphere standpoint. And, you know, play football players know they only have like 8, 10, 12 opportunities to play. Basketball is multiple games a week. And I think the crowd plays such a big role. And, and remember, even earlier in the football season, Charles Snowden admitted that he had problems getting really fired up to play because of the lack of fan interaction and i think some of the college teams that we're seeing are having that same
0: problem that's exactly right And, and that's why i think it's such a question of who on that team can can bring that spark now virginia tech and mike young uh Really encouraging start. I think they're going to play Penn State tonight in the ACC Big Ten Challenge as we record this Tuesday morning. But David, big picture, this team is is better. It's deeper. It's bigger. It's more experienced. Um, they beat Villanova, and I said this before. It, it felt more like less of an upset and more of a good basketball team that played really well that night. What do you like that you've seen from Mike Young's club?
1: Just the the ability to to defend mm. and rebound. You know, his he's he's such a good coach on on the offensive end. That the Hokies are gonna score, and they'll they'll score in this season more different ways be, because they don't have to be so dependent on three point shooting because they have an interior presence in Keve Aluma, who's off to to such a good start. And you know, by the time a lot of folks listen to this, this may be old news. But the Penn State game that we don't know the result of, I think that's a really interesting game. You know, the Nittany Lions are 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 two and one. They they lost in overtime to to a Big East team in Seton Hall. They beat VCU at the buzzer on, on a three in a heck of a game. You know, they've got a curious coaching situation. Patrick Chambers resigned before the season. Jim Ferry is is the interim head coach. But you know, Penn State's a you know, is a credible opponent tonight at Castle Coliseum. And I think we'll learn even more about the Hokies.
0: It's a good test. I'm still, as we record this, I'm still debating whether or not to to make the drive or, or to take that one in virtually uh, mm. and Zoom wise, but uh, we'll see. I, th- I think it is good. And I think, you know, you mentioned that the number of games, we hope that college basketball players get to play that huge uh, slate of games. But um at least for now, there's been plenty of disruption. But what we've seen, I think, from the two teams we cover, um, if we get a season, I think it's going to be a fun season for us to cover.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, if, if the NCAA tournament is, is indeed a, a, a bubble situation in, in Indianapolis, I, I think both teams will be there.
0: Yeah, we could be too. And that would be a lot of fun. Before we get out of here, David, I just want to get your thoughts real quick. Um, A a guy that I think we consider kind of a friend of the local media from his time at Virginia Tech, Shane Beamer, was hired by South Carolina. um, 21 seasons as an assistant coach. He's still a young man. He's 43, but it feels like this has been a long time coming for Shane. What do you think about the hire and the fit for him going back to South Carolina?
1: Well, the fit for him is absolutely ideal. He coached there under Steve Spurrier and was a part of the staff that took the Gamecocks to the only SEC championship game they've ever played in and didn't go so well against Cam Newton and eventual national champion Auburn. uh, Pretty good opponent that afternoon in Atlanta. But no, it's ideal for him and, you know, He has worked. Shane obviously has worked for great people, and like Spurrier and his dad. But you know, people who question, okay, Shane Beamer is going to be a first-time college football head coach at the Power Five level. Well, guess what? So were his last two bosses, Mm -hmm. Lincoln Riley and Kirby Smart. Those two hires turned out pretty well. So let you know, let let's see. And I always go back to, and, and and Shane referenced this in his introductory press conference yesterday, when he had to fill in for his dad for that military bowl against Cincinnati and kind of become the the, the public face of, of the program. And he handled the media and he ran team meetings and such. Shane was clearly very comfortable in the role and in his own skin. And I, I was really impressed by that. Not that, that. not that being glib with us is... the the sole or primary measure of a head coach, but it's part of it. And he was clearly comfortable doing that. And I thought, you know, he's, he's got at least one part of it down pat.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the thing that I took away from from yesterday's press conference, and yeah, he definitely uh, was comfortable, enjoyed. He he said, you know, it was an absolute dream (laughs) with the exception of in his dream. It wasn't all being done virtually on Zoom and his family would have been in the room with him. But, you know, the thing that struck me, and it's what I led my story with today, he said that back in in 2007 at Carolina, he started compiling a binder just of observations, ideas, strategies, um, weight room, nutrition, discipline, Travel, everything—you know—just how you run a program. He just started taking these notes for himself, knowing that one day he'd be in a position to use all that. And he said he still has that same binder. Uh, he still carries it. He still puts his notes in there. Um, and I think that illustrates to me a guy who has had a goal from the beginning. And I think he goes into this job really prepared. And you know, we, we don't we don't root in this business, but but I hope I hope he does well there because I think he's earned the shot.
1: I agree. And th- that story, Mike, reminds me not to ramble on of Mike Tomlin. Mm-hmm. And when when Mike Tomlin went to interview for the Pittsburgh Steelers head coaching job, he'd been a coordinator for one year, defensive coordinator in, in, in Minnesota, previously defensive backs coach under Tony Dungy in Tampa. And Mike took to the interview with him a binder, a plan that he, he had been compiling for years and years of how he would run a pro football organization. And the Rooney family was blown away. And that's why he got the job. So it, it, as I read your story today and I listened to Shane tell uh, tell that anecdote y- yesterday, I thought, you know, that reminds me of Mike Tomlin.
0: It's not a bad guy to be compared to now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although, not uh, yesterday's result notwithstanding, of course. Yes. <laughs> As we covered in the segment with Aaron McFarling, that one uh, paid him quite nicely, but uh, not Mike Tomlin's <laughs> finest moment now. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal & Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer Thiel and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next week.